This will be the last Tacky Talk of 2022 with State Representative Tacky Chan of Quincy. Hey, Tacky. Hey, good morning, Joe. Happy end of 2022. Indeed. Hard to believe, but uh, here we are, last week of the year, and a little bit of a downtime for the legislature right now, right? It is. Uh, December historically is a fairly quiet month, uh, especially after getting to November elections and, of course, the Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, you know, Most uh, legislators do take the first half of the December for themselves. Of course, unless there's a Christmas party or Christmas parade, thankfully. Quincy, we get that over with during Thanksgiving weekend. Um, but uh, towards the end of session, uh, it does get a little bit more pickup. The last day of session is on January 3rd, uh, when midnight strikes January 4th, the uh, 192nd uh, General Court of the Commonwealth uh, comes to a close. And uh, it's a term that we never use, but it's prorogate, prorogated, prorogation. It's a, it's a British term regarding the end, like end, final end of a session, not a recess, not a say you're ending, like it has been terminated. Um, so it will close. So we're still going to build an informal session by unanimous consent. Um, and my committee has been processing bills in December because I get those local petitions asking for exemptions from certain alcohol laws from season towns. So we've been uh, getting those process to give uh, reps and senators a chance to try to make the final push going into the final few days. But I'm monitoring a couple of bills. We had a bill regarding alcohol, beer storage that uh, came out to the governor's desk this week. It's not exciting, folks. It's All it is is uh, changing the law to allow a beer distributor to have more than one ha- warehouse in the same community, but no more than three warehouses total in the state. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is like a prohibition kind of thing. It's... I deal with these very archaic laws uh, that needs to be an update. So, you know, you can have, basically if you're building one warehouse and you want to stay in the same community, you can keep that warehouse up while you're building a second warehouse and you can destroy the second first warehouse once the second one's been built in the same community. Otherwise you have two warehouses, uh, which means you can't have those two in the same place, same time existing. Well, we transfer, yeah, I know it's silly. Uh, when you, when I put it that way, it's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But you know, these are things I'm dealing with now. And we have like a direct shipping of wine uh, technical bill, um, uh, closing a loophole that uh, non-wine manufacturers have been taking advantage of. So we, we, we uh, ABCC investigators discovered that you know there's been fraud, straight up fraud, a misrepresentation of, of being a winery, and then we're trying to like make sure that that that, that loophole is closed, for lack of a better term. So it's another very technical bill with not a lot of words. We have to know what we're doing here. So we got that going on. Um, you know, we have some bills come back admitted by the governor. Uh, you had my uh, certified nursing assistant of multilingual exams sent back by the governor. Uh, we're probably not going to act on it before the year ends where things are looking. Uh, we also, I talked about this a bit earlier about the fact the governor also sent back a bill, uh, veto amended um, to um, allow individuals to keep the professional licenses even if they miss the student loan payments, which... Die, you got no license, you can't make money, you can't make money, you can't pay your loans. Like a catch-22, right, exactly. <sighs> so again, I mean, as much as people love uh, Governor Baker, uh, these are the kind of things that don't make the press, that, that frustrates the rest of us in the legislature. Uh, again, I mean, nobody's perfect. We, he does some great things, and he does some stuff like this that makes us look at him like, really? <laughs> well, he's, he's on to uh, a much more demanding job at the at the NCAA next year. 
Well, absolutely. I mean, I wish him the best. Uh, none of us really saw it coming. But then again, I wasn't paying that much attention. Uh, the, the, the man deserves uh, some time off, to be perfectly honest with everyone. I mean, COVID is very tough on executive branch. Executive branch is hard enough job, but it is. You've heard me say this more than once. I think executive branch is, is not easy to do, um, even though uh, we are allowed to be critical uh, of our elected officials, uh, including myself. Uh, but I do recognize the job entails, and I've been around a very long time watching uh, governors come and go. And, you know, overall, I mean, he did well. Uh, but COVID in particular, I mean, clearly aged him another decade uh, while making decisions in life and death, which a lot of people uh, on this video probably weren't happy with some, maybe few or all his decisions. But someone had to make those decisions. And, um, you know, those, you know, making a decision. Uh, puts a lot of pressure on folks, uh, particularly uh, when uh, you look at death counts in a period of time, we don't know what's going on, um, and getting mixed signals from the federal government about what you should be doing, and inconsistency uh, of the CDC uh, compared to your DPHs, and and uh, just, just, you know, all the insanity involved for the last three years. Um, so, you know, I do wish the governor the best. I hope he, you know, enjoys his time at the NCAA. Um, I came from an NCCA, I think Division Three school, which is Brandeis, I believe. I think we had Division Two in some areas, uh, but uh, you know, I mean, best wishes to him and uh, you know to his folks as well that uh, works in administration. I understand Mary Lou Sutters, who's guided us for eight years of health and human services, has uh, submitted her uh, retirement paper, so she's going to take a pension. Yeah, there'll be a lot of uh, turnover, I'm sure. So what's the, uh, let's talk about the, the transition process in Beacon Hill. What's going to be happening next week? Well, we're going to get sworn in first. Legislature sworn in there first. The first official, the last official act, actually, the second, well, second is two official acts, really. But the governor, a baker, is one who's going to swear us in in the legislative session. Then Thursday, the 5th, uh, Governor-elect Healy gets sworn in, and the Governor Baker will take his long walk out of the stales, which is the tradition of governors where he'll leave his office, uh, leave behind a key, a Bible, and a note on the desk uh, for the incoming governor uh, and take the long walk out of the state house uh, to his private vehicle with a 19-gun salute. Uh, there is some construction going on at the front of the state house. We'll see if they're ready by next Thursday. If not, yeah. they'll send them an alternative route outside of the state house uh, like they did for Governor Salucci when uh, they pretty much had been rebuilding the entire front staircase, the grand staircase up front. So um, the governor-elect um, Healy will uh, be sworn in, as well as uh, Lieutenant Governor uh, Driscoll. And then uh, the 18th, I think, I'm trying to remember my calendar, because it happens only once every four years. And really eight, because to be honest with you, we don't pay much attention to the, the second scoring in nearly as much sometimes uh, if they're uh, uh, coming back for a second term. A lot of times mm -hmm. uh, these electeds are, are, are not looking for a big pump. A ceremony that we can just get us quiet ceremony, ceremony the family and sworn in and get to work. So, but you know, your first time swearing in, I mean, you know, the pomp and circumstances, something that, you know, their friends and family should most definitely observe and enjoy. Um, so I believe the 18th will be the Secretary of State, the Treasurer, the uh, State Auditor, and the Attorney General uh, is, I believe, going to be the 18th. So um, it's, it's, and then bill filing is due. I think the third Friday of January, um, we're going to let the speaker and Senate president obviously on swearing in day on the third. 
we're going to have to initiate some temporary rules or emergency rules. I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen. Uh, will it be emergency rules or temporary rules or some combination uh, that will go into effect uh, for a while while we're waiting for uh, new joint rules between the branches and new House and Senate rules uh, to be drafted and approved by the respective branches. Um, and then, uh, you know, the speaker is meeting folks regarding committee assignments. We may see committee assignments uh, when the speaker feels like it. I suspect sometime uh, towards the end of January, early February. And then uh, bills will be completely processed by the clerk uh, sometime by late February, early March. So, I mean, the bill has about four, I'm sorry, the clerk has about 4,000 plus bills to process and send to committees. So, um, you know, committee process will start, you know, public hearings or whatnot. There isn't uh, an oversight hearing or a, you know, procedural hearing um, sometime probably going into the month of April and just keep on going um, until new new joint rule 10 day next year. I'm sorry, next year is not next year, uh, 2024. Um, Great, yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll we'll set a date for a deadline on joint rule 10, which joint rule 10 deadline for bills reported sometime in 2024 as part of the joint rules and see where it takes us. So, you know, so yeah, it's going to be busy uh, and not busy. It's kind of weird. <laughs> a lot of procedural things. Yeah. Not a lot of, uh, you know, uh, get your, get your face down to the, to the grindstone kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, it is and it isn't like right. I mean, you know, the, you know, I don't. I'm not a committee chair as of midnight, you know, January fourth. Uh, so, uh, you know, there's no committee work, but you know, bill filing is due the third week of January, which means that we have to get our bill filing prepped and going. Um, and then, you know, we're still watching for governor's pocket vetoes uh, as part of bill refiling process. Uh, because, you know, you're not sure what's going to happen just yet. Plus, you know, we're trying to get communication with the newly elected constitutional officers, plus, you know, a number of newly elected senators and representatives and introductions. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, obviously we have the House Asian Caucus that we need to get ourselves organized somewhat. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's right. very informal. We're very friendly with each other. So we still have to at least get some, some agenda items down as we go into the new, new cycle. Um, and then, you know, I like have some meetings set up, right? For example, the Consul General of Japan wants to talk to the caucus. So we have a meeting set up later this month. I mean, most recently, we already, we talked to the, uh, the House caucus, talked to the uh, uh, White House's uh, state legislative, Lezion. Um, They have uh, an office dedicated to uh, state legislatures, as well as the um, Asian um, advisors to the, to the president. So we had a quick update with them, which, which was helpful. Um, you know, I, I chatted with the Korean consulate already in December. Um, the Taiwanese are likely to come back again soon for another conversation regarding their circumstances. Um, as you uh, may or may not be aware, uh, you know, this is still an international city and we're an international trade city. Um, and you know, many, many countries, you know, people think you only send us students, they really not just students. I mean, the, a lot of foreign investment going both directions. Mm -hmm. And uh, the importance of uh, moving all kinds of goods, whether it be biotech or seafood, uh, you know, still needs to uh, keep lines of communication open uh, with the legislature and the governor, uh, as well as local and, and uh, big businesses as well. So, you know, I expect fully to start the you know, so-called constant meetings um, again soon. And I got to 
at some point um, do a larger, like, you know, move through all of them maybe someday at some point. I kept talking about this for a solid year. I've yet to make it happen. I'm trying to get down to New York and go through consulate role uh, with um, different consulates that do business with, with Massachusetts. But uh, there's all kinds of things I would like to do, but I keep pushing it off because there are other priorities at home that guys be taken care of first. Sure, sure. Yeah. There's only so much time. <laughs> Yeah, as you can tell, I have moving pecking order. So as you know, as important as working consulates are, I mean, obviously stuff at home comes first. And it's it's this constant shifting as I'm trying to figure out how to sandwich in some other stuff um, that doesn't rise to the immediate front of attention. So uh, there's a saying, uh, ever since I worked for Michael Morrissey back in the day, it's, it's a constant uh, battle of uh, juggling priorities. And uh, that hasn't changed uh, in my life on the work level. Obviously, we do this in our personal lives. But I mean, at the work level, it's always juggling priorities. Sure. Yeah. How about in the in the district, uh, Tacky? What's uh, what's hot right now? What's coming up? Um, well, it's been fairly quiet right now. I mean, it's not my election cycle, so that's right. always a plus. Uh, mm-hmm. the, municipal, the municipal electeds are up. We uh, were just talking about a bit earlier about uh, the Ward Four special elections. So mm-hmm. if you live Ward Four, again, you know, January seventeenth uh, is the preliminary. There are four candidates to trim down to two, and the final election is February seventh. So this is a true sprint special election on Ward Four. It'll be like you know, one ballot with like one office. So I don't think there'll be too much confusion. And uh, you know, obviously, municipal elections are coming around. And uh, as a political junkie, I do like to see uh, how things are going uh, at the municipal level with people who are thinking about running for office or people who are making plans to do other things, or maybe not plans to do other things at the local level. I'm not sure. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll start the budget process again. And I'm sure I'm going to get this flood of emails starting January 5th from uh, constituents asking me to sign on to hundreds and hundreds of bills that constituents ask. And I will be disappointing some because there's no way I'm going to be able to figure out all, all these bills in a short time frame, claim I know what I'm doing before I put my name on it. Right, uh, right. And sometimes I'll put my name on it. It'll probably be a mistake. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> we've had that happen. It's like wrong number, wrong number. Um, but I mean, it's human. It's being human. And these things will happen. Yeah, I know that um, there was some um, federal money coming into the city um, for infrastructure improvements downtown. Uh, Congressman Lynch, I think, was here not too long ago. <clears throat> with yeah. Some federal funding. It's funny, earmarks don't exist in DC, but they call it community, was a community, uh, community development projects now. They have like a new term for these things. Yes. Yeah. You know, lipstick on a pig situation, it's still pork in a different name. You know, at least <laughs> at least in the state level, still call it earmarks. I mean, we're not we're not shy about calling what it is. Um, you know, we, we receive a lot of money from the federal government. We're very thankful to the federal delegation for a lot of work. I mean, particularly seawalls assistance, uh, you know, after the major storms uh, out in uh, Adam Shore and House Net, which the feds really came through. And, you know, also got a bit of a couple million dollars of state money, too, to, to kind of supplement on that, on, on city-owned uh, seawalls. Mm-hmm. So it's good to see uh, Congressman uh, bringing home something that is claiming not to be bacon. <laughs> Call it what you will. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, even locally, I mean, you know, the governor announced, uh, you know, something that I work on on a conference committee on climate change is $355,000 for Quincy Public Schools to get um, school buses electrified as part of our uh, electrification program. Uh, you know, in the last uh, couple of months, the states uh, put down uh, money for 
SAFE, uh, which is the uh, Fire uh, Awareness Prevention Program. Uh, we got some money for road uh, road uh, traffic awareness program for Quincy Police. Uh, we got some money for the uh, electrical vocational program for Quincy Public Schools. Uh, we got uh, some money for loan forgiveness program uh, for the city's uh, sewer infrastructure program. It's like 14% that loan is going to be forgiven. So, uh, what, you know, I think people kind of forget about the sheer volume of money that the state provides beyond local aid mm. uh, to Quincy. I mean, you know, it's, it's millions upon millions of dollars in the state delegation, you know, votes on approving budgets, supplemental budgets, opera money, bond bills. Uh, and then we, uh, you know, are fighting with legislators to try to get money down to Quincy. I'm sorry, down to the own communities. That's, of course, coming back to Quincy. Yep. And if you're, uh, you know, Bruce Ayers and Ron Mariano and John Keen, obviously they have to take care of more than just Quincy uh, as they're, uh, you know, fighting to just you know, bring stuff to Quincy, but also to their respective communities they represent. Thankfully, I'm just Quincy. So it's easy math from my standpoint. We're right. one party at the time, right? So I think uh, it's often missed. Uh, by both the media and uh, I think our constituency uh, that uh, city uh, gets millions of dollars that the state delegation voted for, approved, and created programs uh, that uh, the city and taxpayers and Quincy benefit from. Uh, every time uh, t- uh, state money comes back to Quincy, uh, you know, it it's your tax dollars at work coming back to a city program or, or a city not-for-profit uh, that helps the community. And uh, the more we get, it becomes disproportional. So uh, since we live in the eastern part of the state, we're a denser community. So things like you know infrastructure for roads and bridge monies uh, lean in our favor. But you come from a sparse community in Western Mass where you don't have that many roads, even though they may be in tough shape because of the small population, smaller total mileage, they don't get nearly as much money as we're fighting for a dollar. Same thing with MBTA money. I mean, we put mm-hmm. it uh, 300 plus million dollars in the last supplemental slash opera budget uh, that that uh, we were to get done in econ dev bill. Um, but, you know, you don't see the equal amount of money going to a uh, more sparse community. Right. So as I tell folks, you know, I, I do actually leave the house, <laughs> contrary to popular belief, and I do actually leave Quincy sometimes, which shocks my friends, by the way, the legislature would actually leave Quincy to go to like another community. They was like, you left. I'm like, yeah, it, it happens. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I get to learn about what's going on in other communities. And and I get, I, you know, it's pretty obvious. You know what you're looking for uh, as you're traveling around. You realize things are good in Quincy. Mm-hmm. It really is. And, you know, thanks to the municipal government, but also, again, people forget the state delegation is a major player uh, on a lot, a lot, a lot of funding and a lot, a lot of programs that uh, we are very fortunate to keep moving, um, you know, throughout COVID. Um, and if this was a, a major recession, you know, we would have to be making these very hard decisions about trimming down to what we consider essential programs in, in, this, in the safety net as people are trying to get healthcare and employment and so forth. And we, because of the strong labor market, this weird superinflation and very strange time period we're living in economically, you know, the legislature has been able to, you know, make a lot of one-time investments and uh, we're able to shore up uh, in preparation for the next recession. Mm-hmm. Yep. Coming up uh, in the new year, the minimum wage is going up. Yes, the minimum wage is going up to $15. This is something we uh, voted on God, I think it's like five years ago now. Sounds right, yeah. Yeah, it seems like forever. Uh, doing incremental increases to $15 an hour. 
uh, the unfortunate part of this is that we're taking away time and a half on holidays and Sundays. Uh, but at the same time, though, uh, overall wages have gone up to like $1,700 a week. I think 17, I have to look it up. I think it's like 1760 something. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to cheat here a little yeah. bit and do the fast lookup. Um, yes, uh, the average increase, uh, the average uh, wage is now 1765 and 37, uh, 34 cents. So $17,065.34 is the, is the, the, um, the average day wage. So why is that important? Well, it's gone up, which means uh, paid family leave and unemployment benefits, maximum benefit also goes with the increase. Yeah. So people don't realize that a lot all our, um, a lot of our social programs, particularly unemployment benefits, as well as paid family leave are tied to the, the average state wage. It's not how much you make, it's how much we're making as a collective Massachusetts, those programs are capped at. And uh, it, that, again, reflects, you know, the hyperinflationary period and wage inflation we are now facing now that uh, drives up these costs. And, you know, 50 dollars minimum wage, you know, is something we uh, all support because it polls extremely well in the public. But the reality, let's be honest, the reality is that many businesses are paying well above $15 an hour uh, because of the labor shortage uh, in the mm-hmm. time of living in. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and also the millionaire's tax will take effect, right? Yeah, it'll take effect. Uh, we won't see a lot of the results for some time. It takes these even tax policies take a little bit around to uh, to uh, see the impact on. And again, it's you know every dollar over the first million dollars uh, that is your income, um, you know, be taxed to four percent. Now, I'm fairly confident every tax attorney and accountant right now is trying to figure out how to maneuver this new law uh, to the benefit of their customers, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but the as long number, as it's legal, right? <laughs> as long as it's legal. But the challenge again is uh, the fact that a lot of these figures that we got were pre-COVID numbers regarding yeah. the revenue generation, um, and uh, people are making more money uh, right now on, on inflation. Uh, of people to uh, other end of the economic scale, the multi-million dollars are not getting raises uh, per se at the same pace that um, you know Main Street people are working on. But at the same time, they were benefiting from capital gains like MAD in 2021. Uh, they're not benefiting from capital gains in 2022. Those of you who have been watching the market, it's been pretty terrible. Uh, 2022 roller coaster ride of uh, stock market disaster. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, uh, the Feds have increased uh, interest rates. And if you're all looking for safe hobbies, uh, definitely look at your CDs um, and don't just use local banks. We're going to you know, try to get a a brokerage account, uh, or um, you know, really look at talking to your financial advisors about you know broadening the market if you're looking for some safe harbor for your money in the near term. Uh, if you don't, if you don't want to take a chance in the rocky market, or if you mm-hmm. got a grandchild that's young, it's not a bad time to buy a treasury bond. Mm-hmm. Yep, the rates are high, and we haven't seen rates like this since what 2007. Yeah, exactly. Right before the last recession, so for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, uh, so capital gains. Uh, you know, it's not going to be wicked strong, to be honest with you. But, you know, this is the nature of the economy, right? It's cyclical. It goes up, it goes down, and it's us preparing to deal with the highs and lows of it, not just at the state level, but also at our personal finances. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, interesting a story out today about the new $50 lottery scratch ticket. $50 for one ticket. Yeah, remember the day when like five bucks was a big deal? Yes, uh, I do. <laughs> I'm old enough. 
people forget. I'm old enough to remember those things. I mean, I remember when a million dollar jackpot was a big deal. Yes. You know, uh, we were all excited about a million dollar jackpot. Now, no one buys a ticket unless it crosses ha- 500 million now. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the lottery uh, is the most successful lottery per capita in the country by two times more than Rhode Island, which is the second highest per capita lottery. You know, we are able to compete with places like Texas and New York in total gross sales. We have one of the best net sales of the country. We have some of the lowest cost uh, infrastructure to maintain our lottery uh, relative to the size of the lottery. It's it's under 3% uh, uh, most years with total um, gross sales. Uh, you know, five cents uh, of each dollar you spend on lottery goes to the city and town. I'm sorry, to, to convenience stores, to the, to the restaurant, to the supermarket, we buy a lottery ticket from, it's direct revenue for them. So administrative costs, you know, somewhere in the eight to 9% range, uh, we consider the, we factor in the, the convenience stores and the, oh. the restaurants, they're 5% of the cut. You know, so it is, it is one of the most successful lotteries in the country. And, you know, it's interesting to see when the lottery has a good dip, you know, they announced a dip in the news, but, you know, in three months, the dip disappears and now they're running ahead again. Yep. Again, the lot is very sickler. And, uh, you know, they're trying to attract more people to play. And, uh, yeah, you have 50 bucks. I mean, even I'm kind of like, wow, that's that's aggressive. It's um, aggressive. I mean, obviously, the odds of winning will be much better just because uh, of the... <laughs> higher risk that you're that you're taking uh but still that's an that's an investment it is a major investment uh for anybody um i'm not sure i'm going to see a 50 dollars scratch ticket as part of uh secret santa or you know <laughs> upcoming um uh, the lottery boards you've all seen those in charitable events where people put a bunch of lottery tickets on the board and you raffle that away uh generally you want to put like you know a bunch of one dollar ones not one fifty dollar one, right? There. Right. Yeah. Uh, the optics are kind of cool if you have a lot of them on the board. But now, if there were a lot of fifty dollar ones, that would really be something. <laughs> well, a lot of fifty dollar ones, maybe I'll <laughs> I take a chance buy, on that. Yeah, I have to buy that raffle, right? Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the lottery is very successful, and this is an example of it. You know, um, you know, working again to try to maximize money for locals, cities, uh, and towns because they're the biggest recipient of the lottery. Uh, that, that you know, the majority, you know, basically the majority of net proceeds go to cities and towns from local aid. Yeah, and again, it's also dense. So Quincy, you know, is one of the beneficiaries of this because we're one of the denser communities with a lottery terminal. We can roll out of bed right into. It's like it's like Dunkin' Donuts. You can roll right in bed to a Dunkin' Donuts. Same thing of a lottery terminal. Pretty much, I can think of three right off the bat, right around where I'm sitting. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, well, we'll see how popular it is. I mean, fifty dollars is excessive. I think, but I think anybody can agree with that. But we'll see the success world. I mean, obviously, a lot of will constantly change games, change tickets, change things around to keep things fresh. And um, you know, frankly, you know, they can kind of experiment around with things like a fifty dollar ticket. It is successful. But the reality is that the two to five dollar tickets are very, very popular. Um, and you know, given the fact it's a very mature lottery. Uh, or of a very defined and resilient and dedicated customer base. You know, why not? Give, give it a try. Yeah. I think it's 50, 50 years old this year, I think. It is. They had a yeah. celebration, uh, the, I think, uh, the beginning. No, I think it was the end of November. Mm-hmm. Uh, stayed out celebrating the 50 years. So, uh, you, know, with, you know, much work to, to uh, thanks to uh, Secretary, uh, Secretary Treasurer, 
Goldberg, and obviously our homegrown Mark Brackett, who's now heading up the lottery. Uh, you know, the good Quincy guy. Yep. And, uh, you know, making accessible for city towns. But yeah, 50 bucks. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of gambling, when is uh, legal sports betting? How's the commission doing? Do you know? I don't know any more of these guys. I mean, they've approved Encore, they approved MGM, even though MGM, we've read in paper, has some weird problems regarding employment discrimination, it looks like. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, both, uh, uh, it looks like the brick and mortar ones are up for the two casinos, Plain Ridge should be ready as well. Uh, shortly, uh, Penn National runs Plain Ridge, they have a sports betting uh, already built into their corporation, um, including all the regulatory requirements. So the, the three big uh, casinos, uh, you know, have to do this in other states. So compliance in Massachusetts should not be any problems for them. Um, uh, as for online, you know, did they get skins? That's still going on, going issue. We talked about before about security breaches. I'm very concerned about that. Yeah. Uh, but on web and mobile devices. Again, folks, please don't leave your money in your online accounts for long. If it gets stolen, you're out of luck. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If FTX hasn't proven anything to you, <laughs> when it disappears, it disappears. Right, exactly. So, yeah. so get your money out and put it into an FDIC safe bank account. Uh, please uh, do that. Um, you know, it's you don't want to, these days, uh, cyber crimes are new high. And, you know, uh, the war in Russia is just going to encourage more uh, terrorists on, short, on soft targets. And soft targets is, is they gambling accounts. That's yes. a soft target. Yep. Yep. So, uh, but we'll see. You know, the projection is maybe April. You get online gambling. Uh, there's a lot of bidders. Uh, you know, I would prefer that the Gaming Commission choose some tried and true ones that have track records of doing this. Uh, that uh, will put their license at risk in other states. Uh, one interesting thing about gambling, much like alcohol, is that if you have a violation in one state, it could result in suspension or revocation of uh, of your uh, licenses in other states. Mm-hmm. Um, people don't realize that, uh, that uh, you could perhaps lose or suspend your license for a violation in another state. Okay, so they, they really don't want to risk that. Agreed. I mean, you don't want to, you want a business that has a, uh, risk adverse as much as possible because of the potential uh, devastation of your business on national level. Yeah, yeah. You know, let's, let's keep it that simple. I mean, yeah. you want risk, particularly in gambling, in, in places of gambling and alcohol, those two in particular, you, you want risk adverse businesses, people that do not want to take a shot at at uh, at uh, losing their, or potentially suspending or losing the license in a neighboring state. Yeah. And what else I want to talk about, Zach, a little bit is, um, I'm sure you're familiar with the um, the attacks on the uh, power stations in, I think it's North Carolina, Washington State, um, and whether you think Massachusetts needs to look at safety around infrastructure like power. Yeah, I mean, we just talked about terrorist soft targets. We had the cybercrime attack on the major pipeline uh, earlier. Uh, was it like last summer, late summer? Yes. Yep. You know, um, and, uh, you know, we know the impact of weather events uh, in Texas uh, was probably the worst in the ice storm, but even here locally. Right. And uh, why did I bring up weather? Well, you know, a lot of our infrastructure, uh, you know, is weather impacted. Mm-hmm. And uh, that does that means that uh, if weather can get it, people can too. Right. right. It's 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 I know it's kind of a bit of a stretch of thought, but if you think about it a little bit, you can see where I'm going here. Um, to be honest with you, I mean, it, since 9-11, 
uh, the big infrastructure, meaning the, uh, the um, transmission lines, the major power connections are considered part of national security. I know because when I worked in the AG's office, we had all signed non-disclosure agreements. We looked at transmission maps. Oh. And like me, I can't remember what's on those maps anymore. It's been a very long time. Um, and that includes gas pipelines. Uh, you know, you can look it up online, but it doesn't tell you exactly where they are. You just know where they go point A, point B, but you don't know exactly where every single one are. So, um, but even then, it's, you know, you can find out if you hunt around. And uh, my understanding is uh, a couple of these attacks on power stations was gunfire. It wasn't like yeah. someone, you know, planted a bomb. I mean, you know, some people, guns shot up a power station, which for the life of me, it's like, okay, not the most of efficient way of destroying infrastructure but still very devastating mm -hmm, right. uh, you know we think terrorist attacks we think you know dropping it explosive and run right so uh but you know it, it, it's near impossible to secure every substation at a distribution level which is the level that we're most commonly understand the poles in front of our homes as well as the underground infrastructure uh if you're in that part of the city there's, there's almost no way to protect uh, all that uh, and uh, but again, you still got to know where it is. And you got to find them. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. There's a lot of distribution infrastructure, um, but that's kind of the reality we're living in. I mean, I don't remember the last time uh, infrastructure uh, has been electrical infrastructure has been attacked in my lifetime. I just can't think of an incident. I mean, there's always been weather, squirrels, um, right, you know, mechanical yeah. breakdown. Uh, you know, all kinds of. Uh, non-bullet uh, or explosive, exp you know, man-made explosive or weapon explosive uh, on infrastructure. And really your reflection of kind of like a weird, dangerous time we're living in where people think this is fun or acceptable, uh, whether it be malicious or, um, very frankly, just stupidity, mm -hmm. uh, as the case may be. Uh, but as a reflection of a kind of a scary time we're in, I mean, you know, and... Uh, you know, we'll see where we'll see what it heads. But you know, I'm going to tell you. I mean, you know, protecting distribution, meaning you know, stuff in front of your home infrastructure, it's very hard to do. Right. No, obviously, there's just it's just too big, you know, and too too exposed. Yeah, there's too literally too many of them. Yeah. Uh, you you can't possibly protect every uh, capacitor transformer uh, throughout the system. Right. Um, now, the only thing you can do is, is you know, have enough resources to respond if something does happen to get it back up as quickly as possible. Yeah, that's the storm response part of it. I mean, should any part of the system, whether it be gas or electric, and even phone lines have an issue, you know, the, the new uh, monitoring systems they have, and they're going to be updating those monitoring systems again every five or so years, uh, we'll be able to pinpoint within, you know, a certain radius. Generally, it's about like a five mile or smaller radius is accurate. His gas is much, much faster. Anything goes on in the gas pressurization, you know, all the all the sensors kick off everywhere. Uh, they can actually pinpoint it much faster where the leak is or or whatnot. But um, you know, like you see in storm damage, you know, the ability of an electric utility to to get out there um, would be a very similar response if there was a, a an attack on a major part of the infrastructure. Yes, yeah, exactly. Well, um, of course, the big, next big celebration uh, will be Lunar New Year, right? Yeah, it's very early this year. If I remember correctly, it's going to be January 22nd, uh, very early this year. Uh, normally, see this a little bit closer into the month of February. So, um, 
Don't ask me what year it is. I'm losing track of regular time, much less of Chinese lunar calendar time. Uh, let's see here. Um, ox, tiger. Let's have to tiger. I'm going to have to look it up. <laughs> I think it's dragon. Uh, yeah, no, I can barely keep track of normal time. Uh, but yeah, no, it, 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 it'd be interesting to see how uh, you know, we come to more normality as you know, we expect to have a, a Lunar New Year event at North Quincy High School on February 5th, I believe, for Quincy Resources. Um, a lot of local schools, uh, Chinatown you know, has suspended all the Chinese New Year activities since 2020, um, March. Uh, they haven't done anything really at a large scale. Uh, we'll see how many more of these uh, events will, will come back to life um, uh, this Chinese New Year period. Uh, it's been, you know, it's been really quiet uh, the last three Chinese New Year's. Um, obviously, at the Tet, you have the Vietnamese New Year as well. They're having a big celebration at the uh, on the South Boston Waterfront Convention Center, uh, the World Trade Center. Mm-hmm. They have theirs there. Uh, they went BC High for a few years. Actually, the last one I went to was at BC High, the Vietnamese Tet, uh, the New Year there. Um, and then um, the next big Asian one would be in April-ish, where they do a Cambodian New Year as well as the Buddhist birthday, um, mm. which is which is in that time period. Um, so, but again, it's been very subdued, uh, largely because of COVID. Right. Yeah, it might change. May change now that restrictions are being lifted in China. Yeah, that's going to be. We were talking about this before we got on the air. Uh, <laughs> that's going to be. That's going to be horrible. I just don't have another word. It's going to be horrible. Um, every scientist, you know, has said the same thing. I mean, China mainland proper is going to have the biggest travel since restrictions have been lifted, like just flat out lifted, no real like phased in lifting, just flat out lifted. Um, and uh, we all can all talk about their uh, vaccination uh, isn't as effective as Western vaccines, but regardless, uh, you know, we all know that we can still get infected with vaccination and just get lesser symptoms, hopefully in prevention of death. But, you know, over there, I mean, they've been cooped up for three years. I mean, you know, we were going stir crazy after three months, <laughs> uh, you know, seriously. So there's going to be you know, a massive amount of travel to Macau and Hong Kong. They're going to try to get all over Asia in terms of just getting out of the country. And in terms of traveling internally, some people haven't seen their family in three years, too. Right. Even domestically uh, in like one town over, one city over. I mean, that's kind of locked that we're talking about. Yeah. I'd say three years of that. We barely got through three months without losing our minds here. So you can imagine what they're going through. Um, and unfortunately, uh, they're going to be bringing um, COVID with them. Mm. Just like beginning of COVID, everybody was bringing COVID with them all over the world. I mean, you know, they, it's just the nature of it. So, you know, some scientists are saying that, you know, China has all the variants floating around at once. Um, and, you know, the more... Uh, COVID has a chance to be in people, the higher chance it's going to mutate. The more people infected, the more mutations may happen. And uh, we'll, we'll see how a band for people, varying degrees of vaccination effectiveness uh, will work out. And uh, since there's so little, also so little infections at all, because if you have been affected and you survive, putting aside the impact of long COVID, which is a whole thing that's still studied, um, you know, you do have a higher antibody rate temporarily. Uh, for some time uh, to fend off the pending variant you just got affected with. Yep. They don't have that as well. Uh, 
you know, they don't have the, the vaccination uh, plus boosters plus, uh, the same way we do, uh, which I'm not saying they're not effective, but they're not equally effective. Right. They don't have, unfortunately, uh, people, I'm sorry, I'm saying this, but a lot of people got sick. Yep. That's a terrible thing for me to say, um, you know, that, uh, you know, sick and survived. Terrible words come in my mouth, but when I put it that way, that, you know, helps create this herd immunity. Um, so we'll see uh, how it goes. The Chinese government maintains there are no COVID cases because they stopped testing. And we've heard this one before, folks, right? No testing means it doesn't exist. Put your head in your sand. Uh, we've heard this rally before and here. So, I mean, it's good to know that people that support no testing means no COVID agrees with the Chinese government methodology. Um, so we'll never truly know the numbers. Right, yeah. Unfortunately, we're never going to truly know. Yeah, but, I mean, you can watch the news, the internet. A lot more uh, information is getting out of China than ever, largely through social media, EPNs, uh, and uh, local news outlets. And uh, the Chinese censors can't keep up with taking it all down. And, uh, you can see, uh, if, you know, the hospital videos as well as funeral home uh, backlogs. Uh, and right now, the capital of Beijing is taking the brunt of it first. Uh, but, you know, Shanghai has basically required all children to stay home at school, do virtual learning. Uh, the streets are empty in some of the other major cities as uh, those who experience major lockdown uh, have no interest of mass spread infection to go back into another lockdown. Uh, so there's clearly a case-by-case -case situation on uh, each city's experience regarding um, what happens if you have infection rates. So. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're going to bring uh, some of that, unfortunately, overseas, and yeah. hoping that it doesn't spur a whole new, you know, Asian hate situation. Uh, again, you guys all know uh, people that look like me have been scapegoated, uh, and uh, it could be another prime opportunity for political points mm. and expense of people, other people. So, I don't know. Uh, there's protocols being discussed in the U.S. now regarding Chinese travelers about uh, recurring testing. Uh, I know other countries in Asia, like Japan, has already implemented of uh, COVID rules about Chinese visitors, uh, and I suspect you know a lot of countries going to be doing that going into the beginning of the year regarding increased testing requirements for people coming from yeah. China. Wait and see. Any uh, personal New Year's resolutions, Tacky? Do you do that? Well, I got a physical checkup coming up next Tuesday, so I think that's going to be telling me what resolution is going to be. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm like you all. I ain't that wicked confident. This is going to be a fun day for me. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure you'll be fine. <laughs> so, uh, no, I mean, I just happy to have a job. I, I, I say that a lot. And I don't know, you know why people think it's that complicated, but I'm not happy voters gave me another two years. And uh, I'm one of those folks that uh, you know, I was happy to have a job and, you know, the ability to work and enjoy the work I do. And, you know, sometimes it is that simple. Um, you know, some people tend to take for granted. I certainly don't ever had since I was a child. Very grateful to be able to work and very grateful to have work. Um, you know, and that's kind of my mentality about working, period. Um, and we'll see uh, how the next two years go. And, um, you know, and I'm trying to, you know, work uh, with a whole different system, a whole new administration. It's going to be growing pains. It's going to be miscommunication. It's going to be a whole lot of 
than other run at this. I mean, I remind folks, I've been here for Weld, Salucci, Swift, Romney, Patrick, Baker, and O'Healy. So I'm on Governor 8. Wow. Okay. So you can teach them a few things. <laughs> As I like to say, I know a thing about a thing or two, but I also <laughs> don't know a thing about a thing or two either. So it's a, it's a, it depends if it's a do or don't situation, right? Right, right. But we'll see. Uh, we'll see. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, we'll see. I mean, I have a lot of things to say, uh, and I have a lot of ideas. One, I can't promise you it's a good idea, uh, as I tell folks. And secondly, you know, uh, I like to try to avoid things I've seen happen and try not to do that. Mm, learn from our mistakes, right? Or other people's mistakes. Or other people's, yeah. Even better, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what I've learned over the years. Just watch other things and, and uh, you know, also keep my ears to the ground. I mean, not just uh, Quincy local politics, but also Beacon Hill, you know, rumor mill, so to speak, as we're trying to uh, speculate what's going on. And um, and then also I got to see the speaker about my committee assignment next year and find out more about his agenda. And also uh, I have my own agendas. Mm-hmm and uh, see what his thoughts are about on those. Um, and I uh, look forward to a whole bunch of new reps and senators. And uh, my kid, if I'm a chair, I'm hoping to be a chair and the chair of what I'm doing now, um, you know, it's all going to be brand new committee members. Right. So there'll be a learning curve going on for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not their supervisor by any stretch. Don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. But I mean, part of chairing a committee is to um, be responsive to the members, uh, working with the Senate co-chair, uh, to try to uh, keep and, you know, maybe teach a thing or two to the members about the policy issues as, as the chair is working on, mm-hmm. as well as manager staff as we're prepared to learn our lessons from the last few years and try to apply these lessons to this coming session. And uh, the staff and I will have more discussions about what worked and what didn't work and how can we make things better. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm busy. It's It's just not, it's just different busy. People kind of perceive it as like, you know, if you're not in legislative session, you're not working. Well, that's not true. Um, you know, well, you're not in an event, you're not working. Well, that's not true either. I mean, I have a lot of um, things on my mind all the time. Those uh, people notice sometimes they get a little bit scattery. <laughs> well, for the meantime, anyway, you have the same uh, contact information, right? Right now I do. I'm still in room 42 at the state house. We are fully open. Um, we're running um, this hybrid staffing still, uh, but there's always somebody at the office or two, uh, depending on how we're working it. Uh, We will adjust and change as we go along. 722-617-722-2370. Yeah, I keep forgetting to change my number. 617-722-2370 is the number. And tacky.chan at mahouse.gov. My email string is very manageable today. I'm very happy it's manageable, but it won't be soon but obviously uh state representative tacky chan is the facebook account and um you know tacky chan at org and me legislature.gov which is the state website tacky chat that tacky chan.org is my website and of course you know keep a tv of us uh as we have our weekly chats and um yeah and please for love of pete don't social media contact me oh my god i get so many scam ones right now yes you don't understand what i'm saying you know the volume, and now we've got LinkedIn scams, uh, emails coming in. I'm like, the sheer volume of scam emails and scam social media I'm getting right now. It's it's a little overwhelming as I'm kind of just deleting stuff. So for, please call me or email me directly. Uh, don't use social media. I'm just getting bombarded. 
Great oh, advice, not just for you, but for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, it's bad out there right now. It is bad. Um, and people think, oh, I just sent Tacky a, a social media thing. I'm like, how? I mean, I got to sort through all the scams. Right. It's crazy. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. Just use the direct me- approach. It's the best. <laughs> absolutely. Please use the direct method approach. Yeah. Uh, you know, email me directly or call the office directly and, you know, leave a voicemail. But please leave us your phone number. I'm getting response by staff now that nobody wants to leave the phone number when leave us voicemails. Yeah, we don't have caller ID, folks. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. It's when I first started doing this work way back in the day, uh, people used to, you know, people leave phone numbers. I look, I can't explain. I just don't know. I'm just telling you guys, this is what I live with. Okay. I can't explain this. I'm not going to try to explain it, but please leave us our phone numbers when you <laughs> leave, leave a number when you call, please. <laughs> yes. Again, good advice. <laughs> Well, to you, Tacky, and to your family, your colleagues, I want to wish you a very happy and healthy uh, and prosperous new year. I want to thank you for uh, taking time to use QATV over the years uh, to inform your constituents, and we look forward to continuing that in 2023. Well, same to you and the entire QATV crew who uh, I continue to grace uh, your graciousness on allowing me to, <laughs> to vent um, on your show, and uh, we all know... Uh, between you and me and Mark, uh, you know, we always keep information out there. Although I have to dress up for Mark and not for you. <laughs> you guys can watch Mark's show to understand what I'm saying. Yes, they're very, very formal, much, much more uh, uh, put together than here. <laughs> so, but again, we, have, a little bit here. <laughs> yeah, we can share a few laughs too, which is um, a part of a, a good conversation, right? Absolutely. No question. All right. Thanks again, Tacky, and uh, we'll check in next year. Yeah. Happy New Year, everyone. And I'll see you uh, as the year turns.